Hello, and welcome to the Told You So podcast. I'm Brink. And I'm Carla. And today we're going to be talking about health, fitness, diet, uh, and a bunch of things that seem like a total departure from the sorts of things we've been talking about before, but might actually have a thing or two in common with them. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, I would also call the short version of this, how Brink and Carla got less fat, <laughs> more happy, and more balanced. Well. And it's always uh, it's always more complicated than the headline. It, it could be less fat, and then and then more fat, and then less fat, and then more <laughs> fat, and then onwards with life, just in an ever going cycle. No, I uh, I guess what I'm saying is uh, some of these issues seem like uh, you can just hit like an inflection point, and all of a sudden there's somebody that is is healthy or isn't healthy, like it's some binary thing. Uh, and in reality, uh, it's really a, a long term, you know holistic kind of deal and it's a lifestyle I mean it's a it's sort of a lifestyle choice it's all about what you choose what decisions you make about how you're gonna live your life and I think how we fuel our lives is like a huge part of it and it took me a really long time much like starch resistance I'm very resistant against things especially if it seems like it's good advice (laughs) intolerant (laughs) of gluten um, yeah, you know, and so so I got to cruise along for a really long time as, as, you know, fairly, I come from healthy stock and I've always been very fit and, and then I kind of lost the plot there for 10 years. Yeah. Uh, and I think that the, just to kind of give our fair listeners a, a little idea of what the, this we're talking about is, uh, we want to kind of discuss, Carla and I are, are both, uh, we both had some success and positive experiences with uh, what I would classify as sort of the, the big umbrella would be the paleo way of eating, um, which is pioneered by and I think probably trademarked at this point by Mark Sisson, uh, who's a pretty interesting guy. He, uh, he was already an older guy when he sort of started promoting this lifestyle and point of view. Um, and the metaphor that he put it all under is eat like a caveman uh, and work out like a caveman. And obviously, like so many things, it's been taken to its illogical extremes by <laughs> many people uh, where it's like abstain from fire because Ook had not yet mastered flame. Um, but <laughs> so most basically the, the advice that he gives is eat meat and vegetables, which is uh, I feel like it would be hard to find a nutritionist that would have qualms with that. I think that where people have a problem is where they think that it means you eat, you know, heavy cream and butter and bacon and to the exclusion of anything else in the entire world. Right. And and um, so the umbrella would be sort of paleo, right? right? And it's like eat like a caveman. Well, or it's actually it's more so it's primal is the I'm sorry. Did I say paleo earlier? I'm sorry. Yeah. So it's the primal blueprint is the Marxist term. Yes. Um, and that's the that's the general umbrella. And, paleo and is a, they're calling it sort of the primal movement right, right. now. Or um, I've heard also like the ancients or um, ancestral movement. Okay. And so all these things are mm. kind of slotting in under that. I've never heard of that. Interesting. Yeah, it's cool. I, I was looking at uh, Paleo FX. They have a huge conference. And I was like, oh, I might go to that next year. And interesting. Yeah, and the term they, they're using sort of in their marketing, I was like, oh, I should make a note of this and yeah. say it on the show. So ancestral movement. Huh. Well, and I think that <clears throat> the difference between primal and paleo is that uh, the the paleo people have taken it kind of to the next level of, of research and applying this metaphor to diet construction. And I think that's really what it is. And that's, I, again, I'm, I'm going to sound hypercritical throughout this show of things that I'm really interested in and probably think are pretty good. Um, but <laughs> the whole paleo concept is like only eat what people ate prior to 10,000 years ago. So they have a very specific concept of what eat like a caveman means. And it means like you set this arbitrary time uh, after which you don't eat, you know, cultivated products. Of course, that's pretty hard to do in the modern world. I mean, if you're if you're eating corn, grain, any fruit, um, lemons, <laughs> there, there's just an endless list of things that we've not the sort of, lemons, right? <laughs> potatoes. Um, uh, we've, I, we've we've bent all of those things to our will to make them more palatable. But anyway, point being, I've, I've gone on a detour. Point being, they they set that as the time, so it means no. Um, like tubers, I believe, uh, is, is part of it. I, I would say even before we get to that kind of mm-hmm. breakdown, maybe like the overarching way that I look at it in event and uh, is to say it's low-carb, 
medium protein and high good fats. Yes. So that's sort of the 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 top level, right? So take it from there. Two sure. Bears. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so they they draw that, and I think that they also things like uh, the belladonna family of plants that have been. Um, Things like eggplant and tomatoes. I think it's sol- solanacea. Yeah, right. They, you know, which I'm like, ooh, the stuff Hens that Bane. it sounds like would be like <laughs> kind of like fun, naughty stuff. But it's usually the yeah. stuff that tomatoes. upsets your tummy. <laughs> right. Well, and so anyway, but there's all this debate about, uh, you know, what can people digest, et cetera. I think that a big part of that uh, that's obviously left out of that equation is that we've evolved since then. Our diets have changed and our bodies have changed as a result. So it might kind of it might not make sense to really harshly apply this model of eat like a caveman in some sort of really like a strict ideological kind of way. Uh, it really, I think is a frame for approaching diet and fitness. that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I think so. And I actually also look at it as um, I, you know, I don't mean the whole foods in the sense of like the whole foods diet per se. Cause mm-hmm. I think that leans, it may even be vegetarian. I'm not a hundred percent sure yeah. the official term, but in terms of avoiding processed food, so pretty much if you're in any store in America and you're surrounded by ho-hos and ring-dings and, the and, you know, any of what, well, I don't even know yeah. what these things are, uh, but I, I, you know, I know that if there's zombies are coming for you, you little want Debbie one Swiss of cake those. <laughs> what are those called Zebra again? cakes. I like the, the Little Debbie line of products. Those are uh, my personal favorites. Okay. Twinkies. Like Hostess. A Twinkie. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So any of that stuff, right? But basically any kind of processed food, uh, you know, you want to run a wide berth around that to the extent you can. And so for me, I think about proteins. I think about what I'm, what fats I'm putting them in. And so when you're looking at fats, you want to be looking at things like coconut, avocado oil is an oil that I started cooking with that I really never used until maybe in the past four mm-hmm. years because it has a really high smoke heat. So it's the best one out of them. Olive oil isn't great for like a heavy sear or anything for our foodies out there. Right. Um, well, the difference between those is it's polyunsaturated versus monounsaturated and saturated fats. So usually uh, saturated fats come from animal fat like beef tallow, lard, butter, etc. Those are all saturated fats. Um, monounsaturated fats come from some of the seeds and vegetables, like for example, avocado oil, uh, macadamia nut oil, um, and generally they have a very high smoke point. They can deal with a lot of heat before they start to oxidize. Um, and then polyunsaturated fats are the ones that are really uh, you common. You want to avoid our, like the well, they're, plague they're, if right. you can. And right? they're very they're very common in our diet. Uh, and that's your you know rapeseed oil. Um, or that has a better name, canola oil. Sorry, that, I, it's like, it's this huge Canadian export. I don't know why. It's because I watched a lot of cooking shows and they were like rapeseed oil. And I was like, oh my God, that's a, what is that? And because that's at first, not like, a good name. Grapeseed oil? Like, why do you want grapes? Anyway, uh, it's called canola oil because the nation of Canada does not want to be associated with a negatively named seed. Um, but yeah, all of those are polyunsaturated fats. Uh, they're the kind of fats where... Uh, if you let them drip out onto the counter and stay there, they'll create like a sticky, disgusting, oxidized film at room temperature. Um, and I remember when I was getting into all of this, uh, that was the thing that kind of made a big impact on me was the idea that, uh, at room temperature and hotter, like those turn into sludge. Like that's the, when you're, when you're eating them. And so when you eat them, that same thing (laughs) kind of happens to you. Now I should say that neither of us are registered dietitians. Neither of us are, you know, certified to be experts in this. Oh, no one, Um, like no one (laughs) should be listening and taking advice from us for anything. This podcast is for your listening, amusement and enjoyment. Yes, it's entirely possible (laughs) we're going to get some details wrong as rank amateurs in this area. Um, But yeah, so there's there's all this interesting science behind it, and the real debate comes down to um, should should people you know which macronutrients should people eat? Now, the, and the macronutrients are uh, fat, protein, carbohydrate. Um, little little quick nutrition breakdown. So there's three macronutrients: fat, protein, carbohydrates. Uh, they have different numbers of calories in each of them. Uh, fat has nine calories per gram. Protein has four calories per gram plus, and carbohydrates has four calories per gram. Um, Carbohydrates have four calories per gram, um, but it all kind of it, it it doesn't quite work out 
one to one. It depends on what type of type of carbohydrates. It depends on what type of protein, for example, uh, amino acids are the like building bro- blocks of protein, um, and branch chain amino acids are the uh, amino acids that your body needs to build all of the essential amino acids. So those are a type of protein, but they're really rapidly absorbed. So they don't really, I, I, if I remember correctly, they have a slightly like lower caloric load because um, it takes less energy to break them down. Uh, and that's really what the caloric load means. So like nine calories per gram with fat, uh, it means that it has the most energy. It's the most efficient stored fuel. Uh, and it also takes the most energy to break down and reincorporate into your body. Um, but it is important, you know, it's not like eating fat makes you fat. Like it's, it's not like you eat something and your body says, all right, I will shuttle that to the new location where it can continue to be fat. Um, all these things get broken down by your body and reassembled. Well, and of course with fat, we now know that there was this dude back in the forties, I think it was, what's his name? Ansel... Uh, keys, I think, because I think I remember it being like, oh, he sounds like a Kenzian, and I was like, oh, don't forget this, because these are both bad guys. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, Kenyans, that's also... <laughs> is, it, is this the, the sort of the guy that originated the hypothesis the, that saturated fat causes heart disease and all yes. these? Other? Okay, yeah. Yeah, so basically, you know, he, he went around and he did this study, and he studied 21 countries, And then there were only nine that sort of supported his supposition that fat's bad for you and it makes you have heart attacks. And so he only picked those nine, wrote up his paper, kind of gave it to the government. The government was like, yeah, I'm going to believe you and that Kellogg's dude who has a lot of product to sell who's come and bent our ear. And And yeah, we should totally, you know what we should do? (laughs) We should design this pyramid, guys. Like a pyramid called the food pyramid. And we should stick all those carbs at the bottom and tell people to eat uh, that crap. Man, and it, I mean, it really gets even wilder when you look at the history of the people that made the, like Kellogg, the, the guy that made Kellogg's, was a very interesting guy. He was an odd Dude. Well, he, he was an American. I mean, he lived he was, with a monkey, right? Like Michael yeah, Jackson. I think he was he was as American as you can get in that he was uh, very convinced of his own awesomeness and that he knew how to live the good life and that he could kind of sell the good life to everybody uh, in a different way than like fancy vodka or nice sneakers, <laughs> but in a in a chaste, restrained uh, late 19th century sort of way. And all of his products, I mean, they were, it was, it was all oriented. Kellogg, if I remember correctly, he wasn't a seventh day Adventist. That was the guy that invented uh Weetabix or what it mm. the, the guy that mm. invented all the Australian, uh, <laughs> cereals for yeah. some reason, these guys, they're into cereals because they, part of their worldview was that it helps to cool your passions. And it's like, you, you only can eat, you should eat neutral foods. That, to that keep will yourself. make you sluggish so that you don't want to procreate <laughs> so that we'd have a few people on the planet. So we wouldn't use up the resources. Well, I don't think or? that, no, no, it was that you have to, you know, you're this bundle of, uh, sin. Lust. right. Yeah. You're just, a you're like burgeoning with sin and you need to keep the demons at bay by not feeding them the spicy food they love so much. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everybody knows hot is the devil's temperature, and that's why you can't eat the spicy food. No, but so those guys, they, I mean, he was like a religious Well, extremist. you know, the countries that have more than a billion people in population all have hot and spicy food. There may this be something true. to that. Well, and there, I mean, there's the whole Indian, like, Ayurveda concept where people have different temperaments and different foods are assigned, uh, you know, Tomasic and uh, I forget the other two, Rajasic. I, I can't, I can't remember. Tomasic's the one I remember because it's me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, where you would you would eat foods and abstain from certain foods to avoid stirring up, you know, internal strife that's contrary to your uh, your personality or to avoid giving, you know, parts of your personality more power or whatever. So anyway, so Kelly, it's part of a long tradition of, like, psychoactive food that will give you a psychedelic experience and change your life by just having this diet. Well, anyway, I mean, so, th- I so this is one of the guys that was lobbying Congress for the food pyramid. <laughs> yes. And, and I mean, I would honestly say that for me personally, this diet has sort of changed my life in the sense, and I, I, I just said diet, but I truly look at it as a lifestyle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
a, a really big plus for me was uh, the brain fog. I know it doesn't seem that way, folks, but the brain <laughs> fog has lifted. Uh, the other problem is, you know, 30 plus years of regular cannabis use. <laughs> no. Um, but, that you know, just, just really seeing that um, sticking to this has uh, has remarkably improved my energy levels, my outlook, um, positivity, my sleep. I mean, just really like so many things. Yeah. And I want to get people excited about well, it because right. it's not that hard to do. And I've heard the same thing from a lot of people. And I think that the so uh, maybe this makes sense as like a time to step back for a moment and talk a little bit about ourselves and our history and how we got to be here in the, in the shape we're in now. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, so I was always uh, like a big person um, from like sixth grade. I was tall. I was like six, two in like sixth grade and seventh grade. Um, but I never really played. I hated sports. I hated baseball. I thought that it was stupid and I got hit in the face with a baseball once. <laughs> and that and was terrible. Was doubly stupid. Yeah, exactly. I thought lacrosse was stupid um, I couldn't play football cause I was like way too big and I would have had to play with like eighth graders when I was in fourth grade, which would have sucked. I mean, I would have gotten whooped, but, <laughs> um, so anyway, so I didn't really start playing sports competitively or being interested in athletics until, uh, my freshman year in high school. Uh, and I played football and I started lifting weights and it was a blast. Like it was something that I really enjoyed and I was good at too. Um, and then it kind of grew into the role. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I was actually able to use, like, because of the way that so many, like the contact sports, since they were age limited and weight limited, I wasn't able to like lean into my strengths, you know, like right. soccer, not where I'm going to shine. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so I went to high school, I played football, I broke, I broke my arm in the first scrimmage of my oh, freshman no. year. Um, and then I, uh, what did I even do that winter? I can't remember. Um, but I had also wrestled the previous year, too. And that was really actually pretty fun. Um, and then I, I did, like, crew that spring, which was stupid and a giant waste <laughs> of time. And my butt was too big for the boat. Uh, that, that could have been for the arm. No, to, like, help heal the arm or something? Or no, no. It was just, like, it was a sport like, that was available yeah, at my high school. crew doesn't seem like all my big... You know, guy friends are like kayaking crew, that kind of stuff where your butt has to fit in a small yeah, boat. Yeah, no, that's not, not going to work for me. So anyway, but so uh, the the point of all this, I, I played football. I was good at it. I was like an all-state football player. I wrestled. I was pretty good at it. I only did it for a couple of years, and I made it to the state tournament three years out of the years that I did it. Uh, not super far in the state tournament, but I did get the fastest pin in the state tournament. I, I cool. look duly impressed, yeah. folks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But that was interesting because part of that whole thing was I would play football and at the end of the football season, I would be about 315 or 310. And then for wrestling to be a heavyweight, you had to cut down to 275. Oh, wow. Um, so I would have to lose, you know, 30, 35 pounds. Yeah, that's a lot, actually. Uh, every, you know, in like a matter of like three weeks or so or four what? weeks. That can't be healthy. <laughs> Which, yeah. And I, I remember it was crazy. I would like... So you'd have to bulk up for the one sport and then, like, lose it to yeah. switch Yeah, and it wasn't even seasonal. so much bulk up as just I enjoyed, like, with football. The freedom would, of, well, and I would of just, being I, able to I eat. I would work. Yeah, I, would, right? I would work out. I would eat food that tasted good and a lot of it. And, you know, it was, like, nice. And I was 16, 17, so I could probably eat as much food as I wanted and it would all get turned into muscle. Yes, aren't but, those <laughs> the good old days, man? Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> so anyway, so I would have to do this, like, cutting thing every winter, and it sucked. Cutting and, calories. Yeah. Well, no. Oh, yes. Not like, yeah, uh, like cutting weight. So in wrestling, it's called cutting when you got to cut to the next uh, weight class, which for like normal people, that's like, oh, I weigh 189. I want to compete in 172. So I'm going to cut a couple pounds. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm too fat to be a heavyweight. I'm going to cut down to be a heavyweight. Um, but so I feel like that probably introduced like a, a not great relationship with food and with weight for me. Because it seemed like this transactional thing where it was like, oh, if I want to be skinny, all I have to do is put on three pairs of sweatpants and three sweaters and a leather jacket and get my jump rope and turn all the sweaters on or turn all the showers on in the shower room and then jump rope for 45 minutes every morning and you'll lose a bunch of weight. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. 
That's probably not, not healthy. You should have done it like we did in the old girls' school, where we just compete on who cannot eat at all. <laughs> I did that too. <laughs> I remember there were days when it was like I would I would have one chicken breast and greens under the chicken breast, oh, and it man. was just like not good. Yeah. But anyway, so. Uh, I went to college, I played football for a little while, and then I stopped, I injured my Achilles tendon, I was kind of messed up, and just having some other issues as well with life. Um, And that's when I got kind of like really out of control with eating and not having any sense of like what you put in your body results and the way that you feel. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, I was still lifting weights and I played rugby, but I was like (laughs) getting fat. I could bowl people over like crazy, but I couldn't run for very long. Um, and then when I left college, it was just like, I didn't continue doing anything and I didn't care about what I ate and I didn't think that any of it mattered because I was kind of in like existential crisis spiral. So it was like, nothing matters. So food (laughs) definitely doesn't matter. Um, (laughs) or, or it doesn't matter. Or were you sort of seeking solace in it? Like what, did it become like a bad habit that you did for the rush to feel better? I mean, partially that, but it's, it's just, I, I like eating and I could just eat unlimited amounts of whatever, you know, Mm. I don't feel like it was like, I'm going to numb my pain with Doritos. Like I wasn't, you (laughs) know, going to like the gas station late at night and getting candy bars. It was just, yeah. I mean, I know I'm not like that either, but I do know people who are like that. Yeah. That definitely wasn't. And there are some things where you, you want to eat like a comfort food or whatever, but I still, usually for me, that's like, if I'm really sick, I want to eat like a soup that has noodles. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like I'm depressed, (laughs) you know? Um, so anyway, so I, weirdly enough, I worked at a gym as a personal trainer while being a fat mess. <laughs> and uh, that was a whole weird separate experience. But then, uh, long story short, a couple of years pass. I moved to New Hampshire. I work on this campaign. The whole campaign, I'm still eating my standard food of... Uh, you know, you get like oh, and a political campaign is a hard place to uh, not eat carbs, man. Yeah, it was it's just, just a lot pizza of, a lot of pizza. and bagels. Right, you know, and we you and start your a, morning with bagels, you end your evening with you know right, whatever crap pizza. is there, and you know, lots of bread, and that, and my 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 standard thing I would eat in the morning was like two slices of toast, buttered up like crazy, and then like four eggs on top of that with like cheese. So it's like the eggs and cheese are fine, the right. butter's probably fine, but. Man, that was a whole lot of toast. And, you know, just, like, ridiculous crap. Like, you get Swiss Miss, and you you put the powder in your mouth, and then you take a swig of milk, and you <laughs> swish it around. And so you have, like, hot chocolate mouth. There, there's... <laughs> I'm learning so much about American people right now. Oh, I can go on. Oh, my God. You get muffins and you cut them in half and then you put a pat of butter on, like a big pat of butter on each one and then you microwave it so the butter like suffuses through the muffin and then you put it back together or, and you have, like, a muffin sandwich of butter. It's just, mm, you know. I have to say, that does sound rather... I am uh, an expert tasty. in getting really fat. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so anyway, so I, I... Oh, and I should mention, so I went to Middlebury, and one of the things that probably didn't help in college is that they had Ben & Jerry's ice cream in the uh, cafeterias mm. for free. So, like, part of the meal plan was all-you-can-eat Ben & Jerry's, which was not That, that not seems like good. a lot of... St- Strain to put on a college student when they're just like yeah. figuring out what's good decision making. Well, everyone there is so like outdoorsy and athletic, and me, I like I should have gone to a school somewhere in the city and actually enjoyed myself. And I'm just like in my room listening to metal and like eating the Ben and Jerry's that I took back Aww. from the dining hall. <laughs> Not because I'm emotionally sad, but because ice cream is delicious. <laughs> but anyway, so I so I moved to New Hampshire. We had the campaign. Um, and I decided to stick around and, you know, I started to just get tired of the fact that I didn't like the way that I looked and felt. I didn't like, you know, when I saw pictures of myself, I didn't like them. I was like, man, I'm, I'm fat. <laughs> and, you know, it wasn't like I couldn't pull the like, I'm just a big guy. And it's like, no, you're a big fat guy. Like you're all you're definitely big and you're also fat. <laughs> um <laughs> And, like, not that there's necessarily anything wrong with being fat. And I think there's some people that are actually probably – people can be very attractive when they're overweight. Like, that's a – it's not like – it's impossible. But for me, it's like I, I felt like I was, you know, 
a handsome dude that was like wearing a fat suit and it sucked and I didn't like it. And so I decided that I would start to research sort of the best way to go about getting it under control and started to do things like, you know, I, I would say I need to move my body two miles today. And like, it doesn't matter if I'm running, it doesn't matter if I'm friggin' crawling. I just have to get two miles under my belt today, you know? Um, and just forcing myself to do that over and over again until it was a habit until did you use a tracker like a Fitbit? Yeah. So a... there was a, there's a app called map my run, mm -hmm. um, that just uses your GPS on your phone. So, and that was like, actually in a way it's funny. I never thought about that, but part of my success with all this was really, uh, Smartphone technology, being able to have a phone in my pocket that could do this well, stuff, that, now that I think about it. that That's sort of the point I was driving towards, is I think that there is this sort of exciting explosion that's happening because there are all these new tools. I mean, I know for me, Fitbit kind of helped too, just in terms of like accountability or, you know, automatically registering your weight. So you're like, right. oh, I can watch this go down or I can watch this go up. I feel better when it's going down. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's true. That's I, I've gotten totally out of that habit. And it's probably part of, the, you know, it's because I've been slacking off and I don't want to look at it and deal with it. Um, but but anyway, to kind of like finish the story. So I I got really into Mark Sisson's website called Mark's Daily Apple, um, which is, you know, it was the early proponent of this primal concept of eat like a caveman, move like a caveman. And I'm looking at this stuff and so much of it fits in with what I already know about. Uh, weightlifting, you know, like training, the way that they suggest that you train heavy weights, uh, like basically go maximum effort with uh, heavy weights, low reps, that kind of thing, um, and then combine that with lots of like low intensity movement um, and then occasional sprinting stuff. <clears throat> I'm reading this and I'm like, wow, this is what all of the best like college football trainers and my high school trainer who was hugely influential on me um, – taught me about high interval or high intensity interval training in like 1999 <laughs> and that was like a heck of a tool in the arsenal for me to have and it was so cool to see this stuff now being borne out by 10 years more research um, so anyway so I, I committed to it and I just I bought myself in and I was like I'm doing this and I took pictures of myself and I you know held myself accountable uh, and it worked and I lost about Actually, at the end, at the end of it, I lost about ninety pounds. Wow! Which I was like, uh, I was like two fifty, two forty five or so, which was I think actually too skinny for me. Like I was going too crazy with it, mm -hmm. um, which is probably one of the things that caused me to stop paying attention to things. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> I achieved my goal. I can forget about it. Um, but it was really fun, and it's really liberating to, and and, and not like. It, this has nothing to do with, like, I think I'm prettier or, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like people respect me more. There's just a, a liberation in if I want to jump over that fence, I can't, you know? I still can't jump over the <laughs> fence, but, you know, that's okay. Well, and it just it made, it made a lot of things possible in terms of, like, I could do a, uh, like, it's an exercise called, like, a dragon flag, which is, like, a core exercise where you go up into, like, a candlestick and then you... Uh, lower yourself down from like 90 degrees down oh, to the bench wow. and go back up. All of it's just your up grabs. Mm. So it's like all this stuff where it was, it probably would have been impossible for me to do with all that extra weight. Yeah. Um, and it just became possible. Things like pull-ups and stuff like, you know, you, it's just uh, a huge difference and stuff like uh, the fact that my joints never hurt. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I definitely <laughs> think that idea and that word liberating was was a very real experience for me, too. I think where I really felt it for the first time was uh, when we went to Iceland mm. uh, and I'd probably at that stage only lost about 20, 25 pounds. And, and I lost 65 pounds over a year, just over a year, year and a half. I'd been eating paleo for many years, uh, but cheating at an astronomical rate. <laughs> and so when I made the commitment, which was another word you used, um, to myself, right? Like you have to, you know, it's about accountability. And we like to talk on the show yeah. about personal responsibility and that kind of stuff. And so I was like, well, you can't kind of like half-ass this, Carla, because it's right. not working. You either right. have to say, I, I'm choosing this as a lifestyle and this is how I'm going to stick to it or not. But in Iceland, 
uh, we had gone, you know, it was winter already. It was late November and it's icy. As I'd mentioned on a previous show, they, they are very enter at your own risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, sites are dangerous. There's ice and whatever. And I actually, it occurred to me at a waterfall. I was like, you know, if I was 25 pounds heavier right now, I would feel in danger and I'd actually like be uncomfortable and I'd probably be acting a bit I mean, I never act like a weenie. It's not part of who I am. <laughs> but, you know, I might have been a little more weenie Like a kielbasa, at least. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With the right kinds of fat. <laughs> and so, uh, so, yeah, I definitely also had that sort of liberating feeling. Um, in terms of sort of where my story is, I, um, I obviously grew up in South Africa. So I wasn't done. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> I gave you 15 minutes. I know. <laughs> I'll be really quick. All right. Because an important part of the story is after the great success came the great undoing of the great success. Well, so anyways, it was really fun. I was doing all this great stuff. Got to, I competed in a strongman competition, which is great. And I probably would have done better when I when I was a little fatter, actually. Um, but like that was awesome. And then I got involved. Uh, long story short, I switched jobs. I wasn't working on campaigns anymore. I started working at a desk every day. Um, all of a sudden, it seemed really hard to get to the gym. All of a sudden, boy, it's hard to eat good food for lunch. Man, if I slack for, you know, I'll take two days off a week for meeting well. And, hey, I'm, I'm still doing fine. Oh, I, yeah, I'll cheating. take three days off a week mm-hmm. for meeting. And then all of a sudden you're not doing it anymore. Uh, and but, but you perhaps are still telling yourself you're doing it, yes, which exactly. is like part of the problem. Exactly. Or, right? or at the very <laughs> least, you're creating the stress that you know you should be doing it and like watching yourself dis- dissolve. Yes. Um, so anyway, I, I, I got out of shape. I kind of kicked back into it. Uh, had a great time doing this thing called the Armored Combat League at the Knights Hall in Nashua. And ladies, I to... can I just say that was kind of hot. <laughs> it's all these dudes who dress up like like real knights with like, I don't know, armor. Yeah, and they like punch armor. each other. And there are no rules, I believe. And it's just, it's very, it's very uh, manly. Very few rules. The weapons are blunted, so nobody chops a limb off. But... It's really fun. It's like MMA in a set of like 15th century armor with swords and axes and stuff, um, which is exactly as dangerous as it sounds. And <laughs> I dislocated my kneecap in a fight really badly, and it spun it around from the front of my knee to the back of my Ew. knee. Um, and anyway, so I was injured, so I had a legitimate reason to get kind of fat. <laughs> and really, I've been kind of recovering from that for a year and a half, two years. Um, and... In just the past couple of months, I've sort of decided to, I need to make that commitment again and get my, my life back in order here. Because uh, I'm also like, I'm going to be 35 in a month. Uh, it's the time when fat people get heart attacks. So <laughs> I need Jeez. to. No, I mean, okay, for real, as, I, as, not to as, be too as grim. The, but as the 40-something lady in the room. Well, you're not fat. You're not a big fat guy. But, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was a big fat girl uh, in my late 30. <laughs> well, so, so go ahead. And I'm sorry to monopolize so much time. I, I just think that it's the, the point of why I wanted to say all that is that uh, it's not like a binary of you're healthy or unhealthy. Uh, everybody goes through these different cycles. And some people are genetically gifted uh, to the point that the, the tolls of their actions don't show up till later. Uh, but it always, you know, you're always in this battle with entropy and this battle with your own body. And particularly in our culture, this battle with a food culture that's telling you to eat things that aren't food. Yeah, well, that are <laughs> genuinely not healthy and are yeah. genuinely not They're food. not nutritive. It's, they don't uh, perform they, the function that they have. Zero that food, nutrients. Yeah. And, and, you know, we can talk about that in, in a little bit. So I was a very sporty girl. I uh, loved sports. I also suspect, looking back now, that I was hyperactive and two years younger than everyone and no one knew what to do with me. So (laughs) at a minimum, you know, so in in, uh, primary school when you're young, I was doing track and field and netball and all that stuff. And then in high school, I think the matrons were just like, why don't you do all the sports and they were all thinking maybe we can get her to run out of energy <laughs> i'm gonna put you on two teams this season <laughs> i i you know I, I mean when when i matriculated i was um i was so i was 
hockey captain, field hockey captain, but they kept me in the under 15 team till my senior year because I was so much younger than everyone. So I was like a senior and I was playing with like the kiddos. Yeah. Uh, I was the squash captain, uh, which is a sport that I guess no one in America has ever heard of, but it's a real thing. Yeah, squash. Um, really? People haven't heard of squash? I mean, I don't know if it's like an East Coast, West Coast thing. I think the East There's Coast There's more racquetball than squash, I think. But, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I found one place in California near where we were that had a squash court, and I actually took a job there that was that yeah. into it. But um, but then I realized, oh, no one, I don't know why they had a squash court, because I think <laughs> I found one person to play with me once. Um, I did, you know, netball. I also did all the, you know, crazy Jane Fonda, all of that. So, um so very sporty. Uh, I was pretty sporty through college as well. I played a lot of tennis, a lot of squash. Um, I was really good, actually, for a girl, so I could get play with boys and trounce most of them a lot, which, you know, if you're a alpha female, is kind of a good feeling, yeah. and I like that feeling, and that's uh, partly why I was very sporty. And that was actually a feeling I missed. Um, we, of course, immigrated to the... United States in 96, then I took the bar exam, I became a high-flying lawyer, I had a desk job, I learned to ski, I didn't gain that much weight, but um, I definitely wasn't living healthy, like I was right. not sleeping enough for anything, we could talk about sleep in a second, a lot. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I was in my 20s, I was in San Francisco during the dot-com boom. We were doing a lot of drugs. We were partying every weekend. We would kind of pretend to exercise, but there really wasn't that much happening. Uh, but then I, uh, I had a job that I had to commute to, so I would take the train daily and ride my bike 14 miles. So mm -hmm. I would take the train down to uh, I worked at Logitech in the East Bay, and so, you know, ride the bikes there. So that stage, I was pretty fit. Then, let's see. Then, I, like, I got fat, and I got thin again, and then I moved to New Hampshire, and I got really <laughs> fat. <laughs> so I gained, you know, at least 65 pounds. Actually, I'm a little lower now than I was when I moved to was New Hampshire. Was it like you moved to New York and it was like, crap, all these people are so skinny. I got to get thin. And then you moved to New Hampshire and you're like, crap, nobody cares. No, I actually <laughs> moved. When we moved to New York, it was after we'd been backpacking for three years. And so we were actually instinctively eating fairly similar to what I would say I eat now. First of all, we were in a inadvertently, intermittently fasting because we would generally not eat breakfast and kind of <laughs> yeah. like try and figure out your day. Would maybe typically have a uh, big-ish, like four o'clock fried, f you know, some kind of grilled fish on the beach with some mm. kind of salad and, you know, or like curries or whatever. Uh, we did eat rice, but not that much potato and stuff, right? Mm. So it was mostly uh, Southeast Asian or Indian food. Yeah. We were in that part of the world. Yeah, and the portions and there are usually pretty small. The portions and, yeah. are smaller. I mean, you know, hey, the portions, although they seem to be getting more normal sized again, but certainly when we immigrated, I mean, I would look huge. at the portion sizes and I'd just be like, and of course we came here and I was like, oh, this food permit says I should be eating pastas and bread and, yeah. ooh, noodles, noodles, noodles. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, the, oh, God. It, if only they weren't so delicious, these concoctions right? that are not good for you. No, but the thing I, is, <laughs> I mean, a lot of it actually doesn't taste that good. There are certain things that I yeah. still, you know, like if, if something's like, like a croissant where I'm like, okay, this is a pastry and I will go and I will have one once a year at pork fest for my cheat. Right. Okay. Yay. But I mean, I don't have a craving for a hot dog bun or a you know a hamburger right. bun. I'm never like, right, it's just oh, filler. let me sneak off and like have like there's nothing in there. Right. That, there's first of all, there's nothing in there that's actually food. Right, right. No, um, I know. I'm I, the the only and so this is obviously this is somebody who's uh, just reembarking on this journey, talking to somebody that's been on it for uh, over a year. But no, there are just some there are some foods where the crunch of a ridiculous bread product brings it to the next level. Like I love smoked salmon. I love smoked salmon and cream cheese and capers, but let's be honest. If it's on a crackly little rye cracker <laughs> or a little, little bit of pumpernickel or a, 
bagel. I mean, it's just a world better. Than I mean, on honestly, I will tell you, I'm off bagels. Like, I took a bite. I know, they're a whole loaf of bread wadded up into a donut. It's, it's like, I'm totally <laughs> off that. Like, this stuff just doesn't really taste good to me anymore, which, which is good. And I think that's part of getting into the routine of making it a habit and making it a lifestyle and right. being like, I'm not really cheating. Um, and I don't want to try to convince you otherwise. Because no, if it doesn't taste good to you, good for you. Yeah, no, but the <laughs> thing is also, um, there's a great documentary called uh, what what's with wheat? And okay. I would highly recommend if people are interested in this in this topic. This one's specifically about sort of gluten and celiac and whatever. But it's very sciencey, and they have like the breakdowns of the chemicals. And mm-hmm. I told Brink before the time, don't let me say any of those <laughs> technical names because I will get it all wrong. I did write them down, and I will get better at explaining it more uh, scientifically. But uh, the bottom line is, you know, gluten is in everything now. Wheat is in everything. It's in our cosmetics. It's in our yeah. um, sk- skin care. It's, it's just... It's and same thing with soy products. And same thing with... There's a lot of these products that are... They've, uh, they were traditionally eaten in a treated way. Like, for example, wheat, it would be sprouted or germinated. And it would get rid of all the phytochemicals that act like right. poison. Or uh, soy, same thing. You ferment it and it gets rid of all the phytoestrogens and all that stuff that isn't good for your body. Well, that was basically what I wanted to say is that, (laughs) no, is that, um, I mean, there are breads that I think I'd be okay with eating. So, so for me, I actually do have, I, I think I have a, a gluten sensitivity at a minimum. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, in the interest of oversharing for all medical reasons. I mean, I did not have a solid bowel movement since India. So that's like 19, not 1990, <laughs> let's say 2002. Uh, so, you know, something there is, is <laughs> it's like, why, why? No, because IBF is, is a real thing, right? Yeah. The, 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 your, your stomach's just not happy and right. I can trace. So, so just and so much of that is about your, your microbiome, your bio, yeah, right? Exactly. Which is where I'm heading. But really, Really, like uh, an important part of my story, I think, is um, I took Cipro, which is like a very, very strong antibiotic. When we were in India in 2002, uh, I was extremely ill. I had some kind of gastrointestinal, you know. So anyway, so I mean, this was in very rural India, so it's pit toilets. And I will tell you one thing: you do not want to be squatting and puking at the same time. Mm. That is a rough time. So I had emergency antibiotics with me and I was like, screw it, I'm gonna take this stuff. And I did. And I think that medication, which is basically what they give soldiers right before they're about to die, they're like, yeah, you know, I don't know, you're in Vietnam, everything is infected, (laughs) try this, but man. Mystery death disease, take this. And so I took it without really understanding what was in it. And um, it has a very bad, and this is the part where I'm not supposed to talk about it. So it's a floor, it's F-L-U-O-R, that is in everything that's bad. So it's some kind of bad part of the chemical structure. And um, it's uh, it's actually also in... um, uh, I'm going to blank now. But anyway, so I think that destroyed my biome. And so moving to New Hampshire... Um, having to deal and adjust, you know, moving's a, 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 a different thing. I started to drink a lot. Um, I was, I had a very social job that had a lot of responsibilities where I was going out a lot. So like it became sort of a daily thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I also made the decision, you know, at, at the same time of like being serious about what I'm eating, I was like, I was going to stop drinking for a while and see how that goes. Mm-hmm. And it's been almost two years and I don't miss it, don't think about it, but I definitely think that that also helps with the weight, but it helps with my mood. Yeah. I think I'm a cooler, better person. People have actually said my aura's <laughs> color has changed. I don't wow. know what that means. But, um, and I don't know if that's good or bad. I need to get an aura audit. I've never right? had that. Yeah. And so... Um, I'm afraid it might be like plaid or something. Oh, how cool would a plaid aura be? I want that. I kind of, I, I, I was so flummoxed when the person said it that I didn't ask from what color to what color. But yeah, now are, I feel like I options? need to go back, you know. Yeah. I'm like, did I change to glitter rainbow? Are there, yeah, are there classical patterns? Can I be a fleur-de-lis? Right. Can I be <laughs> crescent moons? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, so um, definitely for me, gluten is a big one, but... There are ways to make breads and 
pizza dough and stuff that if you're making it from heirloom grains and you're making it, the, the best advice I heard for that is if you want to cheat on something delicious, just you can cheat, but you have to make it yourself. Yeah. Because once you've made a bread, you're probably only going to cheat once every three months because yeah, it's got to work, you know, if well, you're doing it from scratch with like all the good stoning thing, it right. and milling it. Well, and that's why, and since it becomes more minimally processed, and that's the whole, like with all these grains, the all of the processing breaks down these complex carbohydrates into glucose, sucrose, dextrose, I mean, whatever whatever form of sugar is in those uh, grains, that's what it busts out right. and makes readily bioavailable. So, like, for example, uh, a, a complex carbohydrate, like something in a, a whole wheat, you know, lightly ground, lightly milled flour, is it acts totally differently than fine white flour. Right. Um, which actually, it's, it's kind of interesting. I think uh, this has become more of a popular lifestyle and I, I want to talk more about that concept of lifestyle. Like, what does that mean? Um, but it's, it's also gotten commercialized to a certain extent. And it means that you see these products like I've seen. I've started seeing cauliflower, quote unquote. I'm making mm -hmm. huge, huge air quotes <laughs> as I say so cauliflower. Big, guys. Yeah, ridiculously <laughs> with my whole arms. Um, but <laughs> so, uh, no, but it's like cauliflower crackers. And then you look at it and it's like, oh, okay. Cauliflower flour, that's in there. And then rice flour, number one. Right. Uh, brown potato starch, number yeah. two. And it's basically they've just repurposed other but simple carbohydrates. But that's once again to, why yeah. I'm, I, I mean, I love coming over here because Brink always has some really interesting keto-esque snacks. <laughs> and I'll be like, what? There's like round yellow things that look like Cheetos. I'm going to eat that. Uh, but I know, but they're garbage. The, but, the, the, but, the, but it's pretty garbage. <laughs> like the, the chemicals, so it, it's Michael Pollan who always says, right, uh, omnivore. Dilemma, uh, great writer. Uh, you should read everything by him. If uh, he wrote a really great book on psychedelics now, mm -hmm. too, called Change My Mind. He did. Oh, that's um, right. And he wrote uh, Forbidden Fruit, too, yeah. about like tobacco yeah. and. and uh, yeah, and he's just, you know, and yeah. he kind of looks at these things, and I don't think he really has an agenda, but he comes to very similar conclusions, as I do, about things. So, so he must be brilliant. So he must be <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> um, where were we? Oh, uh, just with the idea of a, of a lifestyle, I think that um, the interesting, and again, when I say, like, you commit yourself to doing it, the, it, the this is the only part where I feel like there is a switch that gets flipped, and it's in that, like, you start to see things as food and not food in a whole new paradigm. Mm -hmm. And this this gives me a, a very brief moment to talk about a concept I really like, which is the concept of uh, reality tunnels, which is that every human being is living, you know, in the four cubic inches in their skull in their own reality tunnel. Um, they have all these different influences, ideas, recollections of things people have told them, things they've read, things that they've thought of themselves, you know, all these different... Uh, influences putting together the way uh, that they shape the sensory input from the world. Um, and, you know, humans, I think that there's, uh, we're not a blank slate, but there's a lot that is influenced by your, your nurture, by the situations around you and the situations you've been in. So two people in the same room can be looking at the same thing and seeing two very different things um, as the result of their reality tunnel. And people that, you know, choose like an ideology, for example, they put on like a different set of glasses or a different set of blinders and they choose that reality tunnel. And that's what you see. And anything that you see that contradicts your preconceived notions of the way things should be needs to be explained and fit orderly into your reality tunnel. Um, so anyway, when you change your diet like this, I think that one of the shifts is that you start to see meat and vegetables as food and you start to see those oceans of boxes and shiny labels and crinkly paper. And it's not food. It's not food. And, and actually, it smells weird to yes. me now. Like, I can smell. It smells like cardboard. Like, I can walk into a room and just be like, from the smell of the room, I'm like, there's going to be nothing here I'm going to eat. And when you, when you make that flip, I mean, I remember it's stuff like you look at like a, ba a, a bowl of tortilla chips 
and it's like it looks like a bowl of like packing peanuts. And I know that sounds like crazy and delusional, but that's how our brains work. You know, it's the, the like if I was a, a devout Muslim and I saw pork, I would feel a sense of disgust and I'd keep that away from me. I don't like it. But if, if I'm me, I see it and I'm like, yum, that looks delicious. Oh, my God. It came from a pig. Awesome. I, so it's the, these these glasses, you know, these these tinted shades that you put on that you choose to put on really make a huge influence in how you experience the world. Um and, and I think part of that is when you engage the part of your brain that is in a decision-making and choice mode. So uh, just to sort of wrap up my story of Brink's ever going to let me finish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> He's like, what? We got, we got five. Oh. Wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I sort of went through this stage where I was like, okay, I'm just going to reset a bunch of things. And people will say that um, the science is... You know what? Honestly, folks, I've started to realize that there is opposing opinions about everything. And so you just need to basically start to make up your own mind for what works in your life. But what I will tell you is that this creates agency, right? It gives you a sense of autonomy because you're like, okay, I can't necessarily fix the whole world. I mean, I know I can't fix the whole world. I, you know, being a go-getter was like, maybe I could fix New yeah. Hampshire. That's the size. We maybe totally like down the to the West. Oh, thanks, Brig. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm going I'm, I'm to fix the world. But before I do that, I had to fix myself. And that was generally part of the process. So I kind of went into, I'm going to be serious about this diet. I'm going to quit uh, drinking. Um, I didn't change my cannabis use. Um, I don't think I ever will, but that's never really been like a in thing or out thing for me. Like it's yeah. not something I think about booze. I did think about like yeah. if I was running out, I'd be like, where am I going to get some, you know, like right. there was definitely an addiction Ooh, we're out of wine, or yeah. yeah, element to it. And then I was, as I, and then I was like, Oh, I want to, uh, sleep more. And what brought me to this, and I think this is a question that everyone should ask themselves, is my husband asked me one day, he said, when are you most happy? Mm -hmm. And I said, when I'm on holiday, duh. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, well, what about holidays do you enjoy? What makes it, you know, why do you like that? And I said, because I sleep enough and I read a lot. Mm -hmm. And he looked at me and he said, you do realize both those things are 100% within your control on a daily basis. And it was like, you know, one of those light bulbs that goes off yeah. over your head where I was like, oh, yeah, I could make every day like holiday. If I like reading and sleeping, why don't I read and sleep more? And so I made that lifestyle choice. And, and it's so funny how like hearing something like that, depending on where you are personally, that can either be like, oh, light bulb time or like, shut up. You don't understand. I have to. You think I can relax and sleep and read like I can when I'm on vacation with my crazy life? You know, like that's one reaction you could you could totally have. And I, I, could, I could see I me totally, doing that. No, I totally think that's <laughs> legitimate. And I'm so glad you mentioned that because, yeah, those things are true. But like I gave up TV time to read. Right, like, you just, like, like you have to readjust your... You make a sacrifice. Your, you have to change your stuff. Yeah. yeah and, and the thing is, if you want to change your life, folks, it's one, it's not that hard. The hard part is deciding to do it yeah. and then sticking to it, right? And so that's where it becomes the lifestyle change. So so I gave up the booze. The cigarette, and then, oh, I, you know, I'd been addicted to nicotine for, I don't know, 30 years probably. I quit smoking when I was 16, got addicted to Nicorette gum and <laughs> the patches. And I would cycle through those. And when vaping came in, then I'd occasionally fall off the wagon and start smoking again. But right. then I'd stop again. And so I had been chewing Nicorette gum probably like every day for 14 years. Yeah. Um, which I think is really good for my gums, but probably wasn't really good for my tummy. Yeah, all that xylitol <laughs> is great. You know, so, um, so I decided <laughs> to give that up too. And then miraculously, once I started getting enough sleep and uh, my, my uh, health was more in balance, my weight was more in balance, like everything starts to gel, right? Then yeah. you start to become like this... This, this engine, the engine that could, right? And then I had been biting my nails for 47 years and I stopped, oh, sorry, <laughs> 40 something years, 47 <laughs> years. And, um, and I stopped biting my nails, which of course was an anxious habit. And right. honestly, a lot of my Carla crazy, and these are not that big, the air quotes, but um, I was a very anxious person and I was becoming more and more and more and more anxious. And part of that actually, based on the science of alcohol, is 
a tool that will make you more anxious. And so I eliminated the things that were making me crazy. And lo and behold, <laughs> life's a lot easier when you're yeah. not fighting yourself and then fighting everything beyond that. Like you can well, be in simpatico right. with yourself. And there's also, I think that you're just talking about sort of like the, the virtuous escalator of when you see yourself experiencing success in one area then you're like, you know what? Like, I can change the unchangeable in other areas of my life too. Well, and that's it gives you the sense of possibility um, that's really exciting, and it, it it gives you a sense of meaningful self ownership and, and self mastery. You know, right? Where, and 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 I think sometimes people get discouraged because there's a backslide, but you know, we know. I mean, I know for me, and granted, like I'm I'm you know I'm a dozen years older than you are, and so. There was also that reality, even though, like, I didn't really have health problems. Like, my blood work was good. In fact, my brother-in-law, who lives in Canada and is a doctor, and he insisted on seeing my blood work two years ago. And he and he was kind of like, you're surprisingly healthy for, like, how fat <laughs> how you are, are you and how much this? you drink. He was like, how's your blood pressure still low? The you key know? is the alcohol thins out the blood. <laughs> <laughs> And, and so so it wasn't like, you know, some people have asked me, oh, did you have some horrendous, like, wake-up call? Did the doctor tell right. you you're pre-diabetic with a fatty liver? And I'm like, no, the doctor actually told me, you're in surprisingly good shape. You might have a thyroid issue. Go check that out. I did, and I did. Um, but beyond that, it was like, okay, so the self-fulfilling prophecy of it, right? So when people backslide, don't don't let that like hold you back. Yeah. Like you can always make the choice again, right? You right. just you're committing. There's no promise to anyone but you. And and realizing that and sort of internalizing that that you're in a relationship with yourself and there's if you're cheating, you're like you're not cheating the system, right. you're not cheating the, like it's just you and your own accountability. And it's this hard life lesson of uh well, maybe it's hard for me. I don't know. Maybe because of the influences on how I was raised, but the the sort of radical existential crisis of, man, I don't mean to keep going to this. <laughs> maybe I'm having a rough week. But where, uh, you know, like nothing, nothing matters, really. So you have to imbue meaning to things, and you have to discover what you can attach meaning to. And use that to make your life meaningful and beautiful. Well, yeah, and but I, but I take, I maybe I take, I'm gonna take exception with your nothing matters thing because I'm like, fine, maybe nothing matters, but like I matter to me, like yes. even just that, right? So that's what I'm talking about. I, I mean, like in a in a cosmic sense of, <laughs> you know, whatever we do. Gosh, this is gonna sound so grim. Whatever we do to liberate mankind and move things forward and become uh, the best beings that we can possibly be the universe will dissipate into a cold nothingness eventually. That, that's what I mean. The, Gee, the I, thought, I, thought, I thought we had that conversation where we said in the last five minutes of the show, we're going to be really upbeat no, no, but, and happy so that, but that's the, and talk about like optimism and the future. But if no, you want to be that bleak, like missing, what I believe is that point. we're part of the holistic universe. And so it's just, we go from this to some other form of stardust. How about sure. that? Sure, sure. Whatever. No, but the, but, but I guess my point is that it doesn't matter that nothing matters because we're the only beings that are capable of generating meaning. You know, like a dolphin. Well, maybe a dolphin can. I don't know. Oh, Bad dude, was it you? Elephants. Someone told me that dolphins are now like going out of the water and like sleeping or eating on beaches. What? And and I was like. What? You know how you saw that evolutionary thing where uh -oh. it's the different... Yes, humans and dolphin. Well, <laughs> I was like, oh, no. So I guess after the AI robots take over us, the dolphins are coming for no. the robots? I like that scenario. <laughs> <laughs> but so, so to make my point in a non-grim way, it's that, like, you, you, you can make you can make these things meaningful. Like that's the, that's, it's this hard life lesson that you're, there's no reward. There's no cosmic reward for anything you do. All you get is the positive outcomes and the way that they continue to make you feel or the negative outcomes and the way that you feel about those. So, but if, really all you have is time. Right. And so I want to leave everyone with exactly. that idea of how are you spending your time? Like if, if someone's just sitting around on the sofa 
I mean, you know, if you're listening to the podcast, I hope you're moving while you're doing yeah. it, right? Like that seems like a good twofer for something. Like, you, Or I, you're in the car and you're driving to go do something. Whenever right? I realize that I need to go and move my body, I try to put on something interesting on my headphones and I go and walk for an hour or whatever. See, I hardly ever listen to things when I'm out in nature. I try to do the, the sort of nature bathing, hmm. very zero-esque. I take it as my meditation time. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm just like old and slow no, and I don't right. really realize it. I just, oh. I've had headphones on since I was 14. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's different strokes, all of that, but um, but time, right, is all we have. And right. so I know this sounds like so many of the things, it's like, they sound like cliches, but the best advice I ever got is that you have to keep saying what you're believing because you're never sure when someone is ready to hear it. And right. certainly with the quitting drinking for me, I mean, you know, over the years, people were like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I was like, shut up, I'm fine, right? And then when I was ready for the message, it, it worked. So, yeah. you know, I, you know, people just be, be good to yourself. Yeah. And I guess the... I feel like I really expressed that point poorly, but the, the, the point of all this, it's not, again, it's not that it's because it's good to do it or because, you know, people will think it's good that you're doing it. It's that maybe it'll make you live longer and it'll definitely make you feel better. And like, what more can you ask? Because you have limited time on earth. And if you want to, I, I, I would prefer to live long and feel well during that period. Um, and you really can make a, a choice about it. It's not you're not at the whims of uh, of nature. So, yeah, you're you're empowered to make your life what you want it to be, and uh, and empower yourself, liberate yourself, free yourself, and be happy. Yeah, and thank you for coming on this rambling journey with us. I think that uh, we were talking about doing this show for a while, and I'm glad that we did. We did it without notes, just because we wanted to to really talk about our personal experience, and I think this is really fun. So, thank you, and thank you for listening. Peace out, guys. <laughs>